And good afternoon. I'm Devin Kadiyama with a WFPL Education News Special. The special is part of our year-long education initiative called The Next Louisville. For more information, visit WFPL.org. Well, in just a few days, three new faces will be sworn in to serve the Jefferson County Board of Education. The three outgoing board members are Steve Imhoff, who served District 2 for over a decade, Larry Hujo, who served District 7 for the same amount of time, and Joe Hardesty, who served District 4 for over 20 years. They were on the board when the student assignment plan was challenged in the U.S. Supreme Court and have had to make tough decisions regarding how to turn around failing schools. Their decisions have shaped the school district as we know it, and now they pass the torch to their replacements. I caught up with the three outgoing board members to ask them about their final thoughts. Just quickly, I just want to go around and talk about what it feels like to be leaving the board after spending so much time serving. And we'll start with Mr. Imhoff, who you've spent uh, nearly a decade serving on the board and were, until the very end, the most recent school board chair. What does it feel like to be leaving? It feels good that I have now more time to spend with my law practice, to spend at home with my, my family, and a little bit of extra tennis as well. And Mr. Larry Hujo, who's been serving on the board since around the same time as Mr. Imhoff, 2001. Uh, your thoughts on retiring? Well, you know, in terms of how I feel about it, you know, I'm going to miss uh, working with the board and the folks at the school district. But, uh, you know, I've spent um, quite a bit of my political uh, time talking about term limits, and and I'm a firm believer that 12 years is enough, and this is my 12th year. So, you know, I'm leaving basically on a self-imposed term limit. And... Um, but I think I think I'm leaving it in pretty good hands. So I think that the incoming board members are going to do a good job. I've met all three, and they seem uh, uh, very capable and and uh, very very uh, interested in doing a good job for the students. And Joe Hardesty, who spent the most time on the board between the three of you, serving since 1990, uh, what does it feel like to be leaving after all this time? Yeah, it's uh, well, I don't know that I'll know until I get into the period of time when I'm not serving and. I think it's a mixed feeling of, of some relief to not have that uh, the issues of the school district to deal with as much. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of things that I miss. And, you know, probably most most importantly are the people in the school district, the educators that I've met. Uh, I've met a lot of really good, uh, hardworking, dedicated educators over the years, and uh, I'll miss those people. Mr. Hujo, what for you, what were some of the more difficult decisions that you had to make? Um, and were there any decisions that you made that you look at now and say, well, maybe we should have either waited or maybe we should have not gone that way, or maybe personally I shouldn't have gone that way? Well, there's several things that are difficult. You know, as a school board member, I voted uh, several times to increase property taxes on the residents of this county, and that's that's always a very, very difficult decision to make because you know it impacts people directly. And uh, uh, it was unfortunate that we had to do this because we've lost funding from both the state and federal government consistently since I've been on the board. They've reduced funding. And, uh, you know, as a board member, we did a lot of things. We, we, we cut a lot of programs that, uh, that those were difficult decisions because some of the programs, and I'll give you an example, like the Starfish program where the third graders were all learning how to swim. And to me, that's, that's an extremely important thing for children to know how to do. And uh, because of funding cuts from the state and federal government, you know, we had to make some tough choices, and, and programs like that had to go by the wayside. We could no longer afford to do them. So, of course, student assignment is, is, has been a controversial issue in the community, and 
I think we're doing the right thing by maintaining diversity in our schools. So, yeah, some of the decisions that, that we made were uh, very difficult. And then some of them that other people thought were difficult, I didn't. And uh, one example of that would be, you know, the fairness language we have uh, to protect gay and lesbian children. You know, people thought that was a lifestyle issue. And, uh, you know, I told people as a public policymaker, uh, it doesn't matter about their lifestyle or how I personally feel about their lifestyle. What matters is I'm a school board member and I have to make sure that there's a safe environment for every single child or person that walks into one of our buildings. And to me, that's a public policy issue. Uh, Mr. Hardesty, the question of, in retrospect, some difficult decisions you've had to make. Well, uh, there are some that have been, I think, more public decisions. There's a lot of you know decisions we make every meeting that are important to education. I think the decisions that over the years have had the most uh, public attention uh, have had to do with the student assignment plan, uh, with the uh, renewal or non-renewal of a superintendent's contract, uh, and the hiring of a new superintendent. And so I think those decisions, while they may not have necessarily been the most difficult, have had the highest public profile, and uh, particularly with the superintendent hirings, I think are probably the most important thing that a school board does. And Mr. Imhoff, on the subject of difficult school board decisions. I think when we voted to raise taxes a few times, and that was that was a bit difficult. You don't want to do it, but you have to do it from time to time. And But to go through the process of some things uh, more than the vote itself were, were sometimes uh, painstaking and a lot of discussions before votes. Uh, we'll talk about that process because I imagine there's times when you want more information or you're maybe even making some decisions based off your gut in a way. Uh, are the, Can you explain what that feels like and what those decisions are like? Well, first of all, that reminds me the worst decisions are when from, from time to time, it has not happened lately, maybe once in the last couple of years, and sometimes it's not the staff's fault or superintendent. Sometimes we don't know till a Thursday before a Monday board meeting that we really have to add something to the agenda and vote on it because Frankfurt tells us we have to do something, you know, the Kentucky Department of Education, or for one reason or another that we're now we're on a deadline and we have to vote on something on Monday and, and all seven of us don't feel that we have all the information and we'd like to have more time and more notice. And that's happened five or ten times. I can't really pinpoint, you know, the different examples, but at least five or ten times in my 12 years. And that's something that I think that has been a challenge for all seven of us. Because the board sets policy for the district, do politics come into play in the decisions? Like what, what things might not people be seeing on the outside that are happening on the back end? And this question will go to Mr. Hujo. First off, um, school board races are nonpartisan. And in my 12 years, partisan politics has not come into play at all uh, uh, with the board. The, all the board members that I've I've had the pleasure of working with over the past 12 years, uh, there's never been politics, which you might call politics, involved. Yes, there have been things we have disagreed upon. Um, a lot of that's based on the constituencies where we live. But I always tried to keep in mind the fact that even though I was elected by the the voters in District 7, uh, students that lived in District 7, because of the managed choice system we have here in Jefferson County, they're all over the county. So I always had to take, in my mind, a holistic look at 
what was going on. So I couldn't just listen to a small group of constituents in one area. I had to look at the whole, the big picture. Uh, Mr. Hardesty, although the school board is nonpartisan, do politics play a role? I don't think that politics enters into the school board decisions in, in the way you see it occurring in Congress and in the state legislature. Uh, I think, by and large, the board members are trying to do the best thing for students. Um, but we all have different philosophies uh, on various issues, you know, ranging from you know, labor issues, labor and negotiation issues with our employee groups, uh, to student assignment, to uh, you know, the number of assistant principals you put in a, a particular school and staffing and those kind of things. So we all have different perspectives, and sometimes those perspectives may be more conservative or liberal, uh, depending on the issue. Let's talk about some of the barriers to implementing good policy. Mr. Imhoff, what do you see as being some of the challenges? I think every board member has made suggestions that the staff, the superintendent staff, doesn't agree with and doesn't uh, proceed with it. Although I think staff has listened to us pretty much and more than half the time give us a fair shake in listening to what we suggest. But with a big organization, with a $1 billion budget, and with so many staff that advise the superintendent every day, and we board members are not supposed to micromanage, but it's difficult sometimes to see progress, to see things uh, implemented quickly. And I would say that's probably the same in the Kentucky government and City Hall downtown here in Louisville. Mr. Hujo, for you, what are some of the major barriers to implementing policy? I think some of the major barriers are, are um, understanding, misunderstanding, and not having enough information about um, some of the issues we have to tackle. I mean, the state will come down and say, you have to do this, you have to do that. Um, so those are kind of automatic. But then when someone here um, says, well, you know, we want to do uh, our PLA schools, we want to do a transitional model, uh, you know, and and so uh, instead of a restaffing model. And that really becomes a question of personal preferences of the board members because, Either model, in my mind, is going to be effective if people really get uh, behind it. So then it becomes a matter of personal preference. And that's when I have to listen to the folks that are in the buildings, you know, working in those facilities to say, you know, we understand what each model is and how they work. For this particular school, we think this would be the best approach. And in my mind, that's as a board member, I've got to, I've got to trust those folks that are full-time educators and and in knowing what they're doing, so um, those those are some of the difficult things. Sometimes it's it's attitude. Now, last year we've had the curriculum management audit, which showed that there's nearly 800 interventions and programs working throughout the district. And this question is for Mr. Hardesty. How do you balance the idea between you know there's no one size fits all solution to every school, and and good working programs? Well, I think the programs maybe fall into different categories, but there are some programs that. Are, really have nothing to do with student achievement or, you know, math and reading and that sort of thing, but they are intended to uh, either perhaps reward good behavior or address social issues and social needs that aren't being addressed elsewhere. Uh, so there, you know, I think there's a variety of programs. I think the ones that most directly impact the classroom are, are the ones that probably should have priority. But, you know, if a student comes to school not prepared to learn because of you know, various social issues, then you're never going to get to what goes on in the classroom because they're not ready to deal with what goes on in the classroom if they haven't had breakfast and, you know, they haven't had a good night's sleep and they haven't been prepared the night before for school. 
that seems like a tough, difficult one because yeah, you're saying everything should be around student achievement. All the all the programs are around student achievement. Maybe some are more obvious than others, and then you have these that these ones that attack areas that have always been kind of on that border of how much is how much jurisdiction does a school district actually yeah. should it have? Can it afford to have? And how is it you know reaching out? And is it the responsibility for the school? To, yeah, to it's one so one thing I first learned or noticed when I got on the school board is that there's just a whole lot of social services the schools provide to students. And I think I mentioned it to whoever the superintendent was at the time, and he said, yeah, you're right, but thank goodness we do, because if we didn't do it, then you know many of those social services wouldn't be provided. And so I think they're necessary, but um, often I think the government, you know, federal or state government, uses the schools as a vehicle to deliver uh, services that are needed to students uh, for a variety of reasons, I, I guess partly because you know they're there and they're available and they can be delivered there. But uh, that's something that surprised me. But I, you know, the longer I was on, the more I realized how necessary it was to provide these services. Before we head out, uh, Mr. Hujo, just some quick words of wisdom for your replacement. I've talked with Chris. He's an extremely intelligent young man, and and I've got a lot of confidence in him. And the advice I would give him is to pay close attention. Um, and trust the data, but question the data. And Mr. Hardesty, words of wisdom for your replacement, Chuck Hathaway. I think I would advise my replacement to listen, uh, probably sit and listen for the first several months uh, and learn uh, from the other board members and from the wealth of talent we have in our professional staff. How often do constituents call, parents or whoever? Well, actually not as much as I originally thought. I thought we I might just be inundated with calls when I first got on the school board, and it wasn't that bad. Uh, you, you tend to get uh, a lot of calls when there's something going on that is sort of a hot issue, and the school calendar is always one of those things. You know, if you're proposing to start school earlier than we have in the past or get out later than we have in the past or eliminate a vacation here and there, uh, that gets a lot of attention. Mr. Imhoff, I'm going to leave the last word for you. Um, what do you think people should know about education from a board member's perspective that they might not know? Well, it's it's different, and I'm sure I think differently now than before I became a board member, that uh, people think, well, why don't you do this, and it'll happen tomorrow and everything, and why it will work out perfectly, and why can't our teachers teach better? The answer is our teachers do a great job, and our teachers uh, get a good education through the colleges, the universities, uh, that things can't just to f- follow up. You feel frustrated, but things don't happen tomorrow. And that we do their best. Every district in the in the country, in the Commonwealth and in the country, is really trying to do their best with all the students. But if you have five or six kids, I was one of five kids, I've got three of my own, not every student is the same. Students learn at a different pace. And uh, just because Johnny can do well doesn't mean Sally's going to do well on a certain subject. And that's what people need to understand. And uh, sure, if their five kids do great, well, why, what's so hard about it? Well, not everybody has five kids that do great uh, right off the bat. And some of them need more time. And we need more services, more money to work with those students. That's what people don't understand until you actually become a board member. Uh, so uh, I think that's the biggest thing that people don't understand, that, that uh, how difficult it is to run a big, not just any kind of an organization, but also when we're trying to have their student, their kids or their neighbor's kids do perfectly. Uh, you know, if you look at all the sports on TV, not every athlete's the same. 
they all have different levels when they come in. And every coach can tell you they're all at a different level, and they've got to work differently with each kid in different ways. And that was Steve Imhoff, Larry Hujo, and Joe Hardesty, three former board members that served the Jefferson County Board of Education for several years. When we come back, we'll talk with their replacements, who will take their seat on the board next Monday. And we'll give us a call at 502-814-8255. That's 502-814-8255. More after this. Support for WFPL comes from Vivid Impact, a strategic partner in graphic communications, including print, packaging, e-commerce, and marketing campaigns to help businesses improve communication, enhance brand, and increase profit. More at vividimpact.com. For marketing decision makers, Louisville Public Media offers a look at the state of modern American media and a powerful new solution to an old problem in the new publication Advertising 2013, available for free download by visiting louisvillepublicmedia.org and clicking on Business Sponsorship. You're listening to a WFPL News Education Special. Coming up later this afternoon on Talk of the Nation, we'll take a look at how much we really understand about rape, who does it and why, who the victims are, and who's reporting it. That's uh, Talk of the Nation this afternoon at 2 on WFPL. On all things considered, keeping an eye on employees. That's coming up at 4 this afternoon on 89.3 WFPL. And welcome back. I'm Devin Kadiyama, and you are listening to a WFPL Education News Special. It's part of our year-long education initiative called The Next Louisville. To see more information, visit our website at wfpl.org. Well, we're joined now by the three Jefferson County board member elects. Uh, that's David Jones Jr. for District 2, Chuck Hathaway in District 4, and Chris Brady in District 7. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, we'll be taking your calls in just a bit. That number is 502-814-8255. Once again, that's 502-814-8255. Uh, first, I'd just like to get started by going around quickly and just talking about how you've been preparing in your personal lives for taking the seat next Monday. I know you've had uh, training with uh, JCPS staff and also from the Kentucky School Boards Association, uh, but how have you been uh, preparing for this personally? And we'll start with uh, Mr. Brady. Well, right now, I think um, having some really good long conversations with your spouse and talking to your family is essential. Uh, it's going. To, it is definitely a change um, right now, especially with me with a full time job with Norton Healthcare. I'm trying to work on that balance, and I think that's going to be a challenge for me is working on that balance between school board parenting, full time, um, you know, a role at, at Norton, and just trying to work on that. Uh, just trying to see, you know, just working on, on how to uh, um, just work on my responsibilities and seeing how much time I can actually devote to those. Are your kids excited? They are. They are. <laughs> they're very excited, and you do get a, a quite a, a, a – it's a very strange situation when your kids see you on TV and then they suddenly think you're famous. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then my, uh, my five-year-old was saying, Daddy, are you running against President Obama? And I'm like, son, if I was, trust me, I'd lose in a second. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, Mr. David Jones, Jr. Um, I think um, – Chris captured it pretty well. A lot of it is uh, kind of organizing your personal and professional lives. I mean, I think one thing the three of us share is that we all have very active full-time day jobs. And so creating the space to, um, you know, get all the meetings on the calendar, get um, get prepared is important. Um, and also work with family. I think for me it's a little bit easier on the home front because my children are 21, 23 years old. Um, they're not uh, looking to me for um, – day-to-day advice or enforcement, but uh, they're also enthusiastic, and I feel like I've got great support on the home front, which is very important. And Mr. Chuck Hathaway. 
Well, uh, my kids are just upset with me a little bit. I'm not coaching their basketball team this year. <laughs> so uh, just had to get into uh, trying to discover the rhythm um, in service, this public service. And there's still time to tell. I mean, we did have the board orientation sessions that was new and uh, had to schedule those in there. Didn't see those coming at first, but I'm glad that we had those. Now, what has been the takeaway with those orientation sessions? I know you guys have been discussing everything from evaluations to um, the budget uh, to just how to be a board member in general, but um, how? what's been the takeaway from, from JCPS? Well, the first word I think about is I'm grateful. Uh, I was uh, a little concerned that I would step into the role, get sworn in on Monday, and then have to learn right away. So I'm very grateful that we have at least got a tip of the iceberg view of a lot of the uh, logistics. Um, I think two things. First, um, the orientation was great. One of the greatest things about it was that um, the existing board members all participated. And that includes not only the four who are carrying on but the three who were just on the radio who've just gone off. And I think there was a team building aspect in addition to the, um, you know, the content transfer that was really good. And um, so I think um, I'm grateful to um, all of my new colleagues and my predecessors for that. The other thing in terms of a concrete learning, you know, I think um, we all understood um, at a high level the district's strategy, uh, Superintendent Hargan's strategy, but I learned about the steps that have already been taken to implement it, and particularly the kind of teacher-centered transformation in the classroom model that um, is underway around what they talk about as professional learning communities. And somehow that had not come through to me, um, even though I'd spent a lot of time paying attention to what, was, what I could learn about the school system. Like Chuck said, uh, for me, I'm very grateful for the opportunity for th- uh, them to take the time to be able to give us uh, some training so we can hit the ground running when we go uh, take our seats on Monday. Uh, they've done an excellent job of preparing us for uh, some, uh, a, a lot of these subjects and to give us an op- ample opportunity to be able to ask questions, and they've been extremely responsive. Well, of course, the district sets uh, budgets. It sets policy. Uh, during the election, we've heard your views on various topics that the public might find useful. Um, all three of you have said you supported the tax increase that was uh, previously approved by the board, although some of you have said uh, you'd be open to taking a closer look at the central office, either for possible cuts maybe or for salary reductions. Uh, I guess I want to start with you, Mr. Jones, because you have a lot of experience on, on large boards and with uh, big budgets. Um, is this something that you foresee as being something that the board will take up this year? Do you expect to see it, and would, do you want to see it? And by it, you mean the um, how we cut costs and where we cut costs. Is that sure, the question? Sure, yeah. Um, so I think there's um, no question that um, declining support from both federal and state um, sources, which are the, I mean, state and federal in order are the biggest funding sources, I guess, um, historically. Um, local is huge, but we rely on those. Um, what we're going to do as those sources decline is going to be a challenge for us. Um, one of the things I think uh, we all learned in the orientation is the steps that have been made to move resources already out of the central office and closer to the student, into the schools. Um, there's been a fair amount of that that's been going on. But um, if we do have declining state and federal um, funding um, over the next decade, there's no question that we have to look at every single penny that's spent 
and uh, prioritize what is most important to student achievement and uh, what is less important. Do you think that's going to come up this year, um, taking a look at that central office once again? Even though uh, Superintendent Hargens did actually make a lot of cuts when she first came on, and I think it was like $17 million worth of cuts and uh, positions were frozen, um, positions are still frozen in many instances. Um, is that something that you see as being a, a hot topic this year? I think it will come up um, with increasing um, sort of size, in increasing size in successive years. So I'll be surprised if there are not some tough choices to make this year, but I don't have any indication right now that they will be dramatic, large choices. Um, it's more a question today of preparing for a future and positioning and reconfiguring the organization so that we're able to um, you know, to spend the money that we have in the best way possible. And Mr. Hathaway, I remember during uh, the election season, you were saying, yes, you don't like to raise taxes, um, and you possibly could see taking a look at the central administration. Uh, likewise, with, with Mr. Jones, do you foresee this as something that's going to come up and that's a, a big deal? Yeah, I, I think truthfully, no one likes to raise taxes. And we heard from our predecessors uh, just moments ago that they didn't race to, with enthusiasm to those decisions at all. But I agree with David that uh, there's going to be definite continuing challenges uh, with federal and uh, state funding uh, not being at the levels that we currently uh, adhere to and are responsible for. But uh, so there'll be I'm not sure that it will be a big sweeping thing this year, but it's always going to be an issue uh, in the back of our minds. It's got to be anything that uh, and then when it comes down to the cuts, we've got to think of it immediately what is happening in the classroom how does it affect the individual classroom because that's where it all uh, means the most now school safety has become a big issue especially following the shooting in newtown connecticut um you know although it's very hard to determine the cause in such a situation do you feel that uh, jcps uh, could improve its school safety and this question will go to mr brady well, I can tell you right now they're reviewing their policies right now, and they're going through there and taking a second look at that. Uh, there was a Louisville Forum event yesterday where they talked about that. Chief Conrad was in on that as well as Dewey, uh, Dewey Hensley, who's our chief, chief academic officer, and several some of the other board members and uh, JCPS personnel uh, attended that event. Um, I was talking to one of our security personnel about that last night, and you know they and one of the things he was telling me was that you know the security personnel at JCPS does train and coordinate with LMPD. And, you know, one of the things that they do train on is active shooter uh, events. So um, it's, I think that we're taking a second look at it. It, it would be unwise not to even do, you know, take a look at that. But you also have to understand that that particular school in Newtown did everything right. Um, you're not going to – and I'd love to be able to say, yes, we can protect our children, but there's a lot of, unfortunately um, – off people out there that uh, are highly inventive and will find ways to um, to hurt children. And, and, and I don't think we're going to be able to anticipate every single scenario, but we will do our best to be able to make sure that our kids are as safe as they possibly can be while maintaining an educational and learning environment. And I just want to go around the, the circle here and just a quick yes or no, if you can. Uh, if you want to elaborate on it, you, you feel free to. But uh, do you agree with the NRA's response to the Connecticut shootings that armed guards should be at every school? And, Mr. Brady, I guess we can just start with you. Uh, no, I do not. And simply because I, I don't want I don't want us to start to become a police state. Again, there's going to be very it's going to be very difficult to prevent every single scenario from actually occurring. If you take a look at what happened in Columbine a few years ago, uh, then, you know, there was uh, armed guards there too. And if you take a look at what happened in Aurora, 
where 30 rounds were discharged in 27 seconds. I mean, if you're, having, if you're a security personnel on one side of the school, it doesn't mean that the shooter's going to come through the front. And it, it's, it's something that um, I don't think that we don't need more, more guns in school. Mr. Jones. I agree with Chris. We don't need more guns with school. I mean, in schools, I, I guess, um, Devin, if I could connect it back to the kind of the budget question. Um, one thing that we're going to have to be alert to, the system is reviewing security policies, as Chris said. Um, and we may need to spend more money. There may be productive things that could happen on um, school security. There may be technologies. There may be door locks. I, you know, I don't know what. I certainly don't agree that adding more guns to school is the solution. Um, but if we do have constructive safety improvement things, we're going to have to um, figure out a way to pay for them. Um, and that fits into this picture as well. And Mr. Hadaway. I couldn't add any more to them other than that, uh, that kind of statement. No, um, it doesn't speak to a position on responsible gun ownership. But no, I would not want more school or more guns in schools. And a charter school bill has been filed in the state house. It's a toned down version of bills previously filed in, in previous years. It allows uh, basically a pilot program of up to 75 schools over a five-year period um, to, to be in Kentucky. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, this issue because it is a, a state issue at this point, but um, if we could just kind of briefly go around and, and share whether we've changed our minds on charters or we think that we might be willing to entertain the idea of a pilot program. Uh, Mr. Hadaway. I've always been open to um, hearing anybody pitch their woo about alternative um, uh, options of the classroom, as long as it's uh, student achievement oriented. So um, I don't have any problem listening to somebody, and and I'm I'm interested to find out more about the uh, districts of innovation from the state. Sure, Mr. Jones. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm a strong supporter of um, parental choice. I think the choice that we have in the current system is important to preserve and expand on. But, um, you know, my position is uh, Frankfurt's going to do whatever it's going to do. Our job on the school board is to use the array of policy tools that we have in the best way possible to promote student achievement. If we get new tools, we'll um, figure out how to use them. Thank you. Mr. Brady. I agree with Chuck. I think the district of, districts of innovation are something we can t- certainly take a look at. But as far as charter schools go, um, I don't agree with them. I, the studies that I have read show that they're uh, no more effective than uh, public schools and in some cases actually are worse. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, business partnerships. Uh, a lot in the education world, we hear about private-public uh, partnerships. In Jefferson County, each school has a number of these various partnerships, uh, ranging from large corporations to small businesses. I'm curious if you believe uh, your expertise and, and your business and prior experience will, will serve as a kind of a tool for you while you serve on the board of maybe possibly finding more of these partnerships to take some of the pressure off of um, either the budget or to take some of the pressure off of the local schools. And this, this question's up for anybody who, who wants to answer it. I'll take it. I'll take it, Chuck. Um, well, as an executive director of a nonprofit organization, uh, pub- public-private partnerships has almost become a matter of survival for us as revenue streams have been challenged in the economy. The nice byproduct of it is you find out now a wider uh, a range of uh, stakeholders that we're locking arms together, and we make for a bre- brighter future in my nonprofit. So um, I think when we have revenue challenges, when we have budget challenges, those are things definitely have to explore because you find out on the campaign trail, there are many people that are involved in several areas of this community that would like to help in some way. 
I guess um, I think public-private partnerships are important for the same reasons, um, and I hope that all of us will bring, um, I believe we will all bring new resources to the table. Um, just a couple of examples. Um, you know, it's not just business, but it's also the social services agencies and the community agencies. Um, one of my business partners is chair of the board of the Boys and Girls Clubs, um, and they have a huge role in um, sort of after-school um, activities and homework, safe places for homework and things like that. Um, likewise, the 55,000 Degrees program is a really important public-private partnership with business, government, everybody involved. And, um, you know, so from the very local to the, you know, community-wide partnership, those are an important part of the solution. Well, I can tell you from my experience of the, as a parent that the partnership that the school system has with the YMCA has been very invaluable for me very because good. we take advantage uh, as a parent of the CEP program, which is basically the before and after school program with our, our children. And um, that's very important. But I think even beyond just a business partnership, one of the things that I'd like to be able to look at is actually having, some, in a way, a governmental partnership and maybe taking advantage of what some of them building upon what the mayor is doing with their uh, Metropolitan Alliance for Growth and taking a look at some of our more urban areas within the state and going to Frankfurt and saying, hey, look, the way we, start, we currently get funding, especially with the SEEK formula, is not exactly something that is equitable to our urban areas. And I think that we really do need to have to take a look at having an, uh, an urban component to our SEEK formula. That's very important. Uh, yeah, I remember you uh, mentioning that during the election. Uh, so that'll, that'll be an interesting discussion because that formula has been around for a while. And I've, I have heard some similar um, complaints about that. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear more from Chris Brady, David Jones Jr., and Chuck Hathaway. And we'll be taking your calls. Give us a call at 502-814-8255. That's 502 502- 814-8255. We'll be back in just a moment. Support for WFPL comes from Louisville Medicine, the monthly magazine of the Greater Louisville Medical Society, where businesses can reach the Louisville medical community, including 85% of area physicians. Sherry McGuire has advertising information at 589-2001. From Bistro Le Relais, celebrating 25 years at historic Bowman Field, offering authentic French specialties such as homemade pâté, duck confit, and chocolate souffle. Bistro Le Relais also offers weekly prefix menus and live jazz on Sundays. For reservations and special events, 451-9020. You're listening to a WFBO News Education Special. Now, WFBO News update. A suspect is in custody after two people were injured in a shooting at a school in Taft, California. We will bring you more information on this as it's available. Later this afternoon on Talk of the Nation, we'll take a look at how much we really understand about rape. That's coming up on Talk of the Nation this afternoon at 2 on WFPL. And welcome back. I'm Devin Kadiyama with WFPL's Education News Special. It's a product of our year-long education initiative, The Next Louisville. I'm joined by Chris Brady, David Jones Jr., and Chuck Hathaway, the three incoming Jefferson County School Board members. Do you have any questions? Give us a call at 502-814-8255. Again, that number is 502-814-8255. Or send us a tweet at WFPL News or go to our Facebook page. Um, And we actually do have a comment on our Facebook page. Uh, Steve wants to know, how do board members feel about the increasing attention made to standardized testing and teaching to the the test? Uh, Does this enhance or degrade the overall educational experience for students? Uh, Mr. Chuck Hathaway. Well, um, I don't know how to address that, especially uh, I I think that um, that has probably been a 
better characteristic of what we've seen in recent years. And I, I, I don't foresee that being such a characteristic of teaching or instruction in a classroom with the Common Core Standards, Kentucky Core Standards. So um, I'll leave it at that. That's what I think. Mr. Jones. Well, I think um, the uh, calling out the Common Core Standards and the change in the testing is the most important point. Um, you know, one of the challenges heretofore has been there have been so many test, tests, teaching to the test has been diversionary, and the tests themselves have measured us at the wrong standard. Um, so I think it's very important that Kentucky implement the Common Core and that we figure out how to use the wonderful information that we get out of that test to help teachers um, do their jobs better. And I think building upon uh, some of the Common Core uh, comments here is that we have to remember that the Common Core is a little bit different than a regular standardized test and the fact that it's going to combine different areas of, of learning. And currently right now, my understanding is that the uh, language arts and the um, um, language arts and mathematics <laughs> right, are, are right. actually, uh, sorry, are um, are already established, but things areas like social studies and mm -hmm. science are actually up to the state to be able to uh, to bring that uh, or d develop those standards. Right. So I think being able to you know bring in different areas of learning to be able to answer a question is a little bit different than what you see on just a bubble test. And we're going to go to a phone call. Uh, Miss uh, Donna is wants to know about uh, the control of the school principal. Actually, we just lost Donna. Uh, I am going to go to Karen. Karen, you're on the air. <coughs> Hello. Hi, Karen. Are you there? Do you have a question? Uh, yes. Um, I do not have children, um, but I'm very interested in education, and I come from a family full of educators. The one thing that I have noticed woefully lacking in all kinds of conversations about school achievement and how to improve our school is talking about the responsibilities that parents have. I have friends, associates, acquaintances, to talk about all of their activities through the day with, with and without their children. And rarely do I hear them speak about um, going over their homework with the children, being involved with their children, and how can you expect teachers to teach when parents are not um, reinforcing that and does the uh, incoming board or the incoming board members uh, plan to address some of that? Uh, it, it's got to be a two-way street. Right, and that's a difficult situation because you're talking about um, what's the role of the school schools, the school district themselves, and the board members to uh, reach out to parents. And and JCPS has taken some steps to kind of uh, do that through technology and other means. Um, but how, what what's the plan? What how do we uh, reach out to parents and and show them that being part uh, you know participating in their education, child's education, is is this important? Well, I think one of the things we have to take a look at, and she's absolutely correct, there are so many things that affect a child that happens beyond the classroom. And I think JCPS, what was alluded, what was also alluded to by um, Joe Hardesty's statement at the beginning of the hour, was that there are a lot of services that JCPS provides, social services that provides that the government kind of either filters through the school or the government just really doesn't provide. Our uh, family resource and youth services centers are a prime example of that. And that's actually something because of budget cuts, JCPS is actually absorbing. And we're we're paying that out of our budget. That's not something that gets funded from, from the state any, and no lo any longer. So, and that's something as a board member, something I want to be able to protect. We have a large homeless uh, population. There's a lot of things that happen that affect a kid. As, as the caller said, outside of the classroom. Now, as far as being how do we make parents become responsible parents, I don't have an answer for that. Uh, I would hope that the love of your child will be, you know, will be the answer to that. And I can tell you that I spent about a couple hours last night trying to get my seven-year-old to do the homework, but, you know, that's just me. Uh, I, I definitely, Karen, I agree with you. Parent engagement is, uh, we've seen in data over and over that, uh, 
that is crucial for those uh, students that do have that opportunity. I know sitting on an SBDM, we were very intentional, uh, and, and sometimes it was a, a tough climb. But to find a, an adult stakeholder that would help them out. One thing that I like about the professional uh, learning, uh, the PLCs, what's the C? Communities. 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 Yeah. Professional learning communities is that it, inter- it, it, it creates a collaborative instruction uh, in the classroom. And also that I know that they're discussing students and how to ha- have a student achieve. So I know from my level, from being at an SBDM and talking about those, that part of the discussion is who can we find to help this student? And um, because unfortunately, some in our community do not have that opportunity. That's one of the most difficult things for me as a reporter. Um, and what Karen brings up is um, you you want to assume that uh, every single parent cares and every single parent wants to do as much as possible. You wonder or you, you realize at some points that maybe some parents don't know what resources are available or parents don't know exactly what to do all the time. Um, is there a way that the school district can kind of increase that? Uh, Mr. Jones. Well, I think um, one of the things that is that has a promise is um, Chief Academic Officer Hensley's approach, which Atkinson Elementary was the example of, of um, reconfiguring the way the school interacts with parents to make it easier for parents to engage, mm-hmm. including parents who themselves didn't have successful education experiences or who are poor or who are homeless. Um, but I think Chuck's point about, um, unfortunately, and Chris made the same point, not all parents are going to engage. And one of the other things I like about what I'm hearing from Superintendent Hargens and um, Chief Academic Officer Hensley is they're not uh, blaming the parents. I mean, they accept the challenge that even kids who don't have engaged parents can be educated. Um, Other adults can uh, fill in the caring adult, adult role to some degree. And the job of our system is to educate the kids, not uh, wait for the families to be perfect. And Karen, thank you so much for your call. Next, we're going to go to Donna. Donna, are you on the line? Yes. Yeah, you're on the air. Do you have a question? I do. I wondered how much control an individual school, potentially that would mean the principal, would have on their own school. It seems to me like if a school is going to be judged by the state in a failing or succeeding criteria, that potentially, if they had a little more control over their school, it would be a valid thing to say, your school is succeeding. What are you doing that's making it go so well, as opposed to one set of rules that is supposed to apply to everybody? Thank you, Donna. And uh, Chuck, you've had um, some experience on the school-based decision-making councils, which is actually a a kind of a unique thing for states to do, uh, which essentially gives uh, a lot of local control to the schools. Can you talk about that at all and how much control that actually has? Because, uh, you know, talking with JCPS administrators, they said basically the SBDM sets the budget, but the budget's almost already determined in in many ways as far as salaries concerned or certain things need to go certain ways. But can you talk about that? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, you really don't have that much control on the budget. There's a segment of it that you, you, you can move around, but um, curriculum is usually handed down, um, so you don't have much there. But as a parent perspective, not as an SBDM person, but as a parent perspective, I always thought uh, the buck stops at the principal and that I see key leadership or a uh, qualitative leadership at the top, then I'm feeling pretty good about my school. I will hold, uh, as a parent, I hold principals responsible for the quality of education and, and the hires that they had with their teachers. 
Um, so I, from a district-wide, uh, I, I don't know how to respond to that just yet until I get into the rhythms of that relationship. But from a parent side and an SBDM side, yes, uh, I, I like key strong leadership in the principal. They cast vision and uh, they hold their teachers accountable in the classroom. And there's been reports showing how much the principal position actually, or how, how powerful it is to a school turning around or a school achieving. Mm-hmm. Um, have you all met uh, some principals? Have you all talked to them? What are some of their concerns? What, what are they saying? Okay. Uh, well, I made a point to go to the showcase of, of uh, schools uh, for the uh, went after the election with the elementary um, showcase down here in Louisville, and I, I talked to almost all of the principals within my district and all the elementary principals, and I've made a point to talk to a couple of the high school. I know I've met Marty Polio over at uh, J Town, mm-hmm. and I've met Larry Woolridge over at Manual. So I've made a, 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 an effort to be able to try and talk to this, a lot of those folks, and I can tell you piggybacking on that last question and from my own experience as a substitute teacher uh, the principal really can set the tone of a school and i've saw that several times and throughout numerous elementary schools uh high schools middle schools that i subbed at and you can definitely tell that uh different vibes by the tone and leadership that a principal uh, sets um i think we all agree i'm a big believer that the principal is the you know they are the leader at the um place where everything happens, which is the school. Um, I've also spent some time with the high school level principals, um, mostly in my district plus manual, which is where a lot of District 2 um, kids go. And I guess the thing that um, strikes me most is each of them has a plan and a perspective that is very specific to their school. Um, It's not a theoretical conversation when you're talking with a principal. You're talking about, you know, what is my current uh, student population? What is my goal? How many students need to do I need to get enrolled here? And what are the day-to-day issues that um, you know that are really taking my time to get better results? And I would describe the ones um, who I've gotten to know so far as very, very focused on their school. Now I want to touch uh, just briefly on on the idea of student assignment. Uh, conversation can't go by in this district without talking about it. Um, we are looking at a new plan next school year, and it's a plan that seems to please a lot of different types of folks. Maybe not a hundred percent on board with it, but um, it seems to give uh, parents a choice with smaller clusters, meaning that they'll have some fewer choices of a school to choose from. But students will be bused uh, fewer distance or less distance. Um, essentially, that's the the point of the plan. Um, But several people have said that the plan's not perfect, that it should be monitored, that we'll continue to look at it and uh, make changes as necessary. Do you, how often do you intend to look at this as a board member and and how often do you think more change is going to be needed? This goes to anyone. Well, let's hope we don't change it too much because I think the public is a little, uh, is change fatigued. Right now, I, I know that I heard that quite often, and I think now there's a considerable amount of confusion as to how many changes have been done to the assignment plan um, over the course of the last few years. And now that we're yet yet again going to a brand new one, which I think is probably the best of both worlds um, of all the assignment plans that have been proposed, uh, you know, this is yet another change to be able you know to get used to. So I think, from my standpoint, yeah, we'll continue to monitor it, but. I really hope that we don't have to make any changes on this. Do you expect it to be in the board agenda once, twice, a uh, few times this year? Or? I think there's always going to be uh, – we're definitely going to take a look at it. Uh, you can't – after the implementation of the six-cluster assignment plan, you just can't not 
look at the implementation or, or how the transition goes. Uh, you know, you can ask Sheldon Berman that, and I think he'll agree with, with me on that point. Um, but it's something that we'll definitely continue to take a look at. But we also have to understand as board members, and I think there, I think this, uh, this point has been made and we are aware of it, that we really need to um, just hold back on some of the changes and give the public a time to adjust. Mr. Jones? So um, clearly we're going to review all the issues related to transportation, um, you know, and I expect to review them annually. But um, I learned two things from the election, um, and I hope that the community at large will learn the same things. Um, first of all, the public um, is confused and angry about student transportation, um, but the voters really don't understand what um, is going on there. Um, most voters don't have children in school just because of the way demographics work. And um, the district has not done an adequate job of explaining what's going on. Communication is really important um, to get that better. But the second thing is the voters resoundingly rejected um, single-issue solutions, um, specifically student assignment as the root of all problems within the Jefferson County Public Schools. So, um, you know, my takeaway is we've got to focus on student achievement. That's our mandate. And we've got to look at where kids go to school as an important piece, but it's subsidiary to how kids are doing. Mr. Hathaway? Well, as I said on the campaign trail, it, it's a cornerstone policy, so any cornerstone policy will be reviewed and revisited, as any healthy organization will do. Uh, but I, I, I said before, and I say it now, this new plan hasn't even had any traction for us to review it yet. So uh, there's some time for it to be in place before we even begin to reshape it. Now, I want to end with talking about what this is all about, which is essentially the students. Um, mm -hmm. And earlier, I guess last year, you uh, you all participated in a forum that was meant to be specifically for the students, to hear the students' voice and get their opinions. And you all seemed really impressed with that. How uh, as a board member, do you plan to kind of keep that conversation going? How do you continue? Uh, how how do you continue to kind of reach out to them and figure out what's best for the student with with all this other stuff that you guys are going to have a lot to to deal with? Um, and this again, anybody can take this right now. Well, so um, I guess I'll jump in. Um, the thing that was interesting about the forum was that it was organized by students. Um, it wasn't. Um, you know, the principals all got together and said we should have an, ex an educational experience around elections. The students said, hold on, you know, there's this election about schools and we need to be represented. So I think five high schools had, um, you know, had students who attended maybe 125 or something all together. Um, and they asked fantastic questions, um, the best that we got. Um, I think my approach is that needs to be pushed back on the students. You know, what, what do they want to do? How are they going to com communicate? They're ahead of us on how to use social media, on how to organize themselves, and they ought to, you know, they ought to tell us how to listen to their voice. And Mr. Brady. I agree completely with what uh, David said. You know, it's something that, you know, in this day and age, it isn't like we are behind any type of uh, wall that's, that's or, or we're unapproachable. Uh, I'm certainly open to hearing what's going on with students. I know that I'm going to make a point to try and be out in the uh, schools, uh, and, and try and visit all the schools within my district, and I'm sure we'll have ample opportunity to visit other schools. Mr. Hathaway. And I don't think I can add anything to what they said. Uh, it was a very enjoyable experience, and it was, uh, it was great to hear directly from the students, for sure. I'd like to continue that. 
Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, You've been listening to a WFPL education news special. It's part of our year-long education project.